Welcome to Father Bother, the show that goes from a clockwork orange to cocoa melon. I'm John Nathan Raby, a.k.a. Daddy Two Books, and I'm joined by the kaleidoscope of mope, Leon Pinachero. We're coming to you from the fortress of fatherhood, a shrine to literature, culture, and finding Easter eggs hidden behind your sofa at the end of May. Today, we're going to talk about Jane Eyre. But first, what's been up with you this week, Leon? What has been up with me? I got my first appointment for the vaccine, which I'm excited about. Very, very nice. What's been up with you? Uh, not much. Have you seen the new trailer for Space Jam 2? I actually haven't, but I did hear people talking about Bill Murray in the context of the first movie about him being a superhero. Yeah, so the, the scene that everyone's talking about is that LeBron James is writing on a list who he wants to be on his team, and he's writing Superman. I think he's writing Gandalf, like the Iron Giant, like all of these things, right? And I guess everyone is saying all Michael Jordan needed was Bugs Bunny and Bill Murray. And new we got dots in here see nobody cares <laughs> what a wonderful performance a very brief aside i think the performance of newman wayne knight is his real name in jurassic park is overlooked as just one of the great shit heel performances in a movie you're definitely right to the point where like you're so happy when he gets killed <laughs> he like he does such a good job of it it's absolutely perfect i hate this hack of shit that's my samuel L. jackson <laughs> what's the deal with this hacker shit exactly but about space jam so i'm conflicted about it because like obviously i grew up watching space jam i have a distinct memory of forcing my brother to watch space jam in the theater instead of independence day and he was really really mad at me but i've always really enjoyed the movie and i remember watching it recently and knowing it's bad but the nostalgia still makes me all warm and fuzzy inside and so i was feeling really conflicted about this movie not least of which because as a michael jordan fan you get really defensive about what LeBron James represents as the new age of basketball, even though he's been around for 18 years. Luckily, I don't know anything about basketball. So I'm feeling all these feelings and I'm watching this and I'm like wondering if my feeling about not really enjoying the trailer is because of these feelings. And the cougar looks at it and goes, basketball, basketball, more daddy, more. And we watched the trailer like six times. So that's when I realized this movie is not for me. This movie is for the cougar. And so we're, we're going to watch it like 60 times, I think. He was like, come on, daddy, come on and slam and welcome to that jam. After he said basketball, he said basketball is my favorite sport. I love the way they dribble up and down the court, just like <laughs> I'm the king of the microphone, like Dr. J and Moses Malone. I like slam dunks and take it to the hoop. My favorite play is the alley-oop. I like the pick and roll. I like the give and go. It's basketball with the cougar, yo. What is that from? I don't know it. I just made the rap up myself. No, it's from it's from a song called Basketball by Curtis Blow from the 80s. Okay. Moses Malone was traded to the Atlanta Hawks. That has been your basketball minute. Now, I only know that because uh, so Stephanie and I collect Trivial Pursuit games. It's one of those weird hobbies that people who are middle-aged have. And so we have a version of it from the 80s that was also made in the 80s. And that was the answer to one of the questions from the game we played yesterday or the day before. From the Philadelphia 76ers, I assume. And I was confused because I thought he was the other Malone. Apparently there are two Malones. Yeah, Carl. Exactly. Who's the postman? The postman is Carl Malone. All right. And Moses is like, oh, wait, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. I'm going to the Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> I haven't watched the trailer for the new Space Jam movie, but I like the old one. You know, it is what it is. Although the moral of it is a little disturbing. Lie to your friends so that they will perform to your expectations. Pretend to give them drugs. Yeah. This has nothing to do with our book for today. Shall we get to the book? 
Yeah. Just a reminder, this is not a plot-by-plot deconstruction from hardcover to board book. We just pair a children's character that we make up with themes and ideas from classic literature to make a new story all our own. But first, the summary. So, Jane Eyre is an orphan whose parents were killed by dark wizards and also typhus, and so she's sent to live at her great-uncle's house where she may or may not live in a cupboard under the stairs. Her aunt, Mrs. Reed, is a real Dursley, and one day as punishment, Jane is forced into the Red Room, which is murder backwards, and Danny isn't here, Mrs. Torrance. Jane sees a ghost because this is apparently the Overlook Hotel, and so gets sent away to Lowood School for reasons. Lowood School is like Hogwarts for orphans, except instead of magic, they get cold rooms and gruel. The Dumbledore is a man named Brocklehurst, and he's a real jerk, and Jane's only friend dies of consumption because it was the 19th century, and it's what all the cool kids were doing. Luckily, it turns out that running a school where students die is bad for business, so Brocklehurst gets a vada cadavera right off the astronomy tower, and Jane finishes school and becomes a teacher. Jane grows restless and leaves her job to become a governess at Thornfield, where she meets the handsome and brooding Mr. Rochester when he falls off his horse. But though he gets knocked down, he gets up again, and you're never gonna keep him down, at least until someone sets fire to his house. Well, Jane and Mr. Rochester are all set to get hitched when the priest asks if there are any objections, and of course there are, because a man named Mason claims that Rochester is already married to his sister Bertha, but Rochester says it's fine because he keeps her chained in the attic, and it's hoes in different area codes and whores on different floors. Jane runs away, and rightfully so, and she sleeps in a field and loses all her shit, and is about to starve to death when the wizard Sinjin Rivers takes her in, along with his sisters, Diana and Mary. Well, they all live at Deus Ex Machina Manor because it turns out that they are all Jane's cousins and that they've all inherited a shit ton of money from an uncle she didn't know she had. Jane thinks about marrying her cousin, so you know she's in a good place, but then she hears Mr. Rochester's disembodied voice beckoning her back to Thornfield, so she returns but finds the manor burnt to a crisp by the first Mrs. Rochester, who is now conveniently dead, or so Mr. Rochester would have us believe, because hasn't he tried to pull this once before already? Mr. Rochester's blind and has lost a hand in the blaze, but he and Jane get married and move out to the woods, safe at last until Bertha Rochester returns from the grave to seek her revenge. And that's Jane Eyre. Now let's turn to our story. Who's our character this week? Our character this week is a pear tree sapling who desperately wants to grow. Okay, I could see the connection there. She's a tree. Is it a Bartlett? A Jed Bartlett? You can tell that the people who were writing the show got too much money because they go from like being progressive values to we pay enough in taxes. <laughs> There's actually a name for it now, but it didn't happen until after. All of this is called like Shonda-itis. Right? Okay. Like after Shonda Rhimes. The first season has this just like meticulously planned out Lego-like connection and everything makes sense. I'm thinking of Scandal and I'm thinking of how to get away with murder. Grey's Anatomy never really had it, but it, was, it wasn't it was made for that reason. It was made to be like, hey, sexy doctors, let's have fun. So the first season and maybe perhaps the second season is is all plotted out and then it becomes really like successful and everyone really likes it. Everyone wants more. And then Shonda goes, oh, shit, that's all I wrote. <laughs> and then she just decides, oh, I don't know how to get out of this situation. So I'm just going to make things as fucking crazy as possible. And so that's why the third season of Scandal makes no fucking sense. This is why I never watched Lost, because I didn't start watching it when it was on, and people say that it ends really terribly, like it doesn't wrap up any of the storylines. I don't want to invest emotionally, you know, on a show that's not going to have a payoff. Of course. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I don't know. Shonda Rhimes is very successful, 
I'm not sure that I've liked any of the shows that she's made, but they're not for me, I think. Nothing but respect. No, she's been able to turn a lot of a lot of things, and she's been able to do a lot of great things and empower people to do good things. So, great for Shonda, but her plots get fucking weird. <laughs> Just saying. Fair enough. Catherine Heigl fucks a ghost. <laughs> I mean, she stole that right out of Star Trek. There's an episode in Star Trek The Next Generation where Beverly Crusher's grandma dies, and she inherits the house, and she goes, and she finds this magic lamp, and there's a ghost inside the lamp who was the boyfriend of her grandmother and who apparently has been doing it with the women in her family for centuries. And then the ghost like resurrects her grandmother and her grandmother uses force lightning on some other dudes. But then, I don't know, they like blow the candle out or something. I I can't remember how it ends, but it is one of the weirdest episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Man, it's weird that Shonda was a head writer in Star (laughs) Trek The Next Generation. You know, you, you get a good idea, you stick with it, okay? So a pear tree sapling who desperately wants to grow. This is a fine character. I think it fits Jane Eyre perfectly well. The sapling comes from a poor family. She's been orphaned. She's being raised by other trees who abuse her. They're like, cut me a switch. And she's like, I'm all switches. (laughs) Okay, so where do we go from there? So normally we identify the main problem and inject some twists and turns. And this is how we construct our stories. So, what does the pear tree sapling want? What's standing in her way? Okay, so I think, as we said in the name of the character, she desperately wants to grow, right? So her goal is growth to become big, because I don't know if you know this about pear trees, they can get to be like 40 feet tall. So the tree sapling wants to grow, and I think what gets in the way is... I mean, we can do everything that gets in Jane's way of happiness throughout this book, right? So I can see the beginning is the tree is a sapling, right? A little sapling by herself. And she's like, oh, I need to grow, but I can't grow. And the first step, which can reflect her time with her aunt, will be she can't grow because there are too many big trees in her way giving shade. And everyone knows that pear trees need full direct sunlight to grow. That is something that most people do know. Yes. Listen. We had a pear tree for a little while. It didn't end well, but I've learned a lot. No, I I think that sounds good. So she's a sapling. Her father was sowing his wild oats, you know, casting his seed about. Exactly. And and so the beginning can be just a sapling being like, I need to grow. I need to get big. Look at all these trees. I need to be a tree like this. But why am I not growing? What's going on? And then the trees nearby can all be like, have frowny faces on them, (laughs) right? And like, I need all the sun. You can't have any of the sun. And then they're like, crowding around and like putting their leaves over her oh that sounds good it sounds menacing and then she calls an uber and is like i gotta get out of here so i was thinking about this just now and i'm thinking we could have a character that is helping jane Eyre along the way but the character isn't meant to reflect the character in jane Eyre as much as it's meant to reflect the narration you saying that i was definitely having the same idea you know maybe we should frame it like it not only wants to grow it's looking for the perfect place to be planted yes you know and so like it's in like a big wagon or something with a burlap sack wrapped around its roots mm-hmm. that's perfect there's like a little boy or something a little kid who's like transporting it around you know oh i have a really got idea what the what the boy's name can be the boy could be named bell after Kerr Bell, the pen name Charlotte Bronte took. I think this is a fine idea. And I think that because it's a Bildungsroman, the tree should speak exclusively in German. Yeah. Ach, mein Gott. Hilfe mir, Hilfe. Wo ist die San? Is it Zana? Wo ist die Zana? <laughs> so, Zana is a good word to use here. 
because it means cream that you put in your coffee. Oh, I thought it was sun. <laughs> so we can have this boy named Bell, or it can start where, like I said earlier, with the plant in the ground, and the boy Bell takes the plant and moves it, right? The first move can be to the Lowood school. It could be like a plant nursery. Yeah, exactly. But maybe the plant nursery has some issues with pestilence temperature i was gonna say like the temperature isn't regulated and, and yeah it's a good idea and you know like there's tree tuberculosis you know what they call tree tuberculosis it's tree b instead of tb <laughs> i shouldn't have laughed at that i shouldn't have laughed at that but i did the nursery can be a school right and so everything is good for a little bit both mostly because i think that's a, a theme in jane eyre where every situation is like Oh, I'm no longer in that terrible situation. Everything's fine. Oh, wait, this sucks too. And so Jane the sapling can be in the nursery and say, oh, things are better. I met another tree that I like, but oh, it's so cold in here. Why is it so cold? And it can be like a nursery, but the nursery is just being neglected, maybe. Yeah, it's a good idea. There's like a, a mean old nursery master. Yeah. And so we cannot have the other tree die. That's just not a thing that we can do. So I think what will happen is maybe that tree will start to get like icicles and be like, I'm so cold. I can't grow this way. That's a good idea. Although I do like, you know, like someone comes and chops it down and the tree's like, why are you doing this? Thunk, thunk. And then like it's uh, fed into the fire, screaming. Okay, shell service, Dean. I think that's a fine idea icicles it's vivid you know the tree could be like Burr. and then like we could have a little bit of humor when the boy shows back up and he's like in a parka now oh yeah so the boy comes back the boy sees that the trees are in danger of not growing and then says oh well this isn't gonna work at all and then adjust the temperature or whatever so that the growing starts to happen a little bit more right because that's the thing too is that at lowood once brocklehurst is removed Things get better for Jane probably for the first time in her life. Okay, that's a good idea. And the little boy can adjust the temperature by chopping down the other tree and building a bonfire. The sacrifice of one to benefit the many. That's like the three little pigs being like, oh, I'm so hungry. I need to eat this bacon to survive. <laughs> you know, when those pigs crashed into that mountain in the Andes, they made some hard choices. And it is not up to us to judge them. So... So I see now that we have the nursery, the conditions have improved, the growth is starting to happen, right? And we can signify this, the illustration can have like more leaves. That's a great idea. And this is exactly what the book needs. It needs like character progression. And so then Jane can say she's grown a lot, but she doesn't think she can grow much more where she is. She needs to go somewhere else. Yes, she needs to go find a rich man to marry. That is the implication. And like another tree could be riding through on the back of a horse and the horse could throw that tree and Jane tree could be like, oh, you ugly. That comes later. You know, their, yeah, their final interaction after he is maimed. He's like, am I ugly? And she's like, yeah, you real ugly. Give me some sugar, baby. I mean, that's pretty much how my wife talks to me and I eat it up. So, so what if the field she goes to or whatever she finds some place to plant her roots and try to grow some more it's a very sunny place right because they need a lot of sun and it can have like this little patch that's very thorny there's a lot of thorns around okay for thorn field and there's a werewolf there's a werewolf uh, as as there is in jane Eyre. yeah yeah i don't know it's a hard book to make it all the way through so i think there must be a werewolf in the middle is it like pride and prejudice and zombies where they just did like jane Eyre and the werewolves it should be jane Ware. oh that's a good one jane Ware. 
Wolf. Should we rewrite this whole thing and just make a Jane Eyre werewolf book? The answer is obviously yes. You know, the reason that she's an orphan is that her parents were killed by werewolves and she has to go live with her aunt and her aunt's doing her best. You know, she's she's trying to make it in this crazy work-a-day world full of werewolves. And if she's harsh on Jane, then it's only to protect her. Don't make me feel sorry for Petunia. Don't you dare. So Jane can get planted at this thorny area. So something else that I learned in my time of killing pear trees is the right spot doesn't necessarily fix all the problems. Like all the sun in the world isn't going to fix this tree. There's also like care that needs to be done, pruning and... And like pH, we could do a pH thing. Yeah, yeah. So now it's the next part. And I'm not trying to teach children about pear tree care and maintenance. But if they learn the general idea how to care for anything is... You know, putting it in an environment where it thrives and also self-care. That is true. So I think the way that can work is she plants herself or she gets planted in this area. LOL. (laughs) See, that's a sex joke. It's golden. I'm giving you gold here. There's a lot of sex jokes to be had with planting trees. The tree's so woody. You know, and you're like, you're working the hoe, you know, you're furrowing the land. Okay, okay, okay. okay. (laughs) I'm just talking about farming. I don't know what your deal is, you know? That's the thing with Stardew Valley, right? Is it, it's farming and also like farming? Exactly. My wife in the game gave her a bottle of wine every day. It's not a healthy relationship, but she loves it. I always remember games that have a romance element, and one of the things you could do is, like, give them gifts, but there's never a lot of gifts, so you just spam a gift. Just imagine, be like, hello, it's Tuesday, I got you a teddy bear. It's Wednesday, I got you a teddy bear. It's Thursday, I got you a teddy bear. I'm gonna have to build an annex on the house just to house all these teddy bears. Yeah, the girl's just like, what are you doing? I don't have room for all these bears. I like the first one. See, that's why wine is perfect, because she does need a new bottle of wine every day. So the first one, oh, she doesn't have enough shade. The second one, now she's safe in a nursery. She gets sun, but the temperature's not well regulated. The third one, she's she's escaped the nursery. She's escaped the shade, but the soil isn't right. I think it's important that we skate past any sort of hidden dead wife in the attic thing. Or not dead, but hidden wife in the attic. I mean, she she will be dead. And she will... Be dead. Adam Levine wrote such a weird song about Jane Eyre. Oh, songs about Jane Eyre. Oh my god. (laughs) Songs about Jane. It writes itself. Songs about Jane Eyre. One of them could be about werewolves. Oh my god. What if we did a Maroon 5 cover band and released our album, Songs About Jane Eyre, and we just wrote all of our children's book as songs? If this were 2005, we'd be very big. I think it's a great idea. I would definitely rewrite that entire album to be about Jane Eyre. And then we could sell it as a study aid for people who have to read the book but don't want to, you know? We're only several miles from the sun. That can be her coming back to the house that's been burned down. I just want to use the line, the sex she slipped into my coffee, whatever the fuck that means. (laughs) I can appreciate that. We do need another character, though, that does represent Mrs. Rochester, the first Mrs. Rochester, because I would like to do a second book that tells the same story, but from that other character's perspective, like with White Sargasso Sea. That's a very good point. Although that book's not in the public domain. If we do have a character that represents the original Ms. Rochester, it could be another sapling that never grew. The problem, I think, is we also don't have a Mr. Rochester. It could be, you know, a nice strapping tree. Maybe Mr. Rochester should 
be a bird. And he's made his nest in one tree, but then he sees the sapling and is like, oh, I got to get all up in that one and makes his nest in the other tree. It absolutely could be because then you could say, oh, what's that tree over there? Oh, don't don't pay attention to that tree. Everything's fine. There is no war in Ba Sing Se. Oh, no, the forest got set on fire. What happened? Nothing. I actually think I like that. I think I like Rochester as the bird. And then he could be crushed in the end. You know, like the first Mrs. Rochester, she could be felled by a violent storm and crush Mr. Rochester and blind him and he loses one of his hands. Yeah, sure. Or a broken wing because we've done that before. So the bird, she plants there. Maybe it isn't the soil. Maybe the situation, because the whole thing about Thornfield is she thinks she's home. She finds out that he's married and then she leaves to go somewhere else, which I guess all it takes is for like her cousin hit on her for to her to want to go back to Rochester. Okay, so what we could do is like, okay, so she's finally put down roots and you think, okay, she's settled in and she makes the acquaintance of a bird. But then she finds out that the bird has a nest in another tree and she gets pissed and she rips her roots out of the ground. Well, and I think that could be good too, because... Because wherever she goes, she can go to a different tree. She maybe finds some trees. Now I'm putting my roots down here, but she doesn't feel right and she's still not growing. And we can remove the cousin who wants to marry you part because that's weird. And instead, one of her family members can say, it's not enough to just have the right soil and be in the sun. You also need to care for yourself. You need to make sure that your branches get pruned. You need to make sure that they break away so that you can grow taller and stronger. That sort of thing. And that's that can be a metaphor for for thriving and you know survival and yeah that's a great idea i think we could even combine that moment with our two characters the bird who represents mr rochester and the boy who is the narrator the boy also thinks she has found the right spot and when she rips her roots out the boy is like slack-jawed staring you know like with a hoe over his shoulder and um also a gardening implement you know, he's standing there with a sack of fertilizer in one arm and, and a trowel in the other, just like open jawed as she marches away. Oh, yeah, that's a great uh, illustration. I can see that. I can see that really well. Yeah, exactly. And so then she pisses off. She goes and like meets the other pear trees and they're like, it's not enough to get sunshine and to have the right temperature to have the right soil. You've got to be loved and you've got to love yourself. Absolutely. I think there's some really good things happening here. All right. Is this too good? Should we insert a bad trope? Yeah, we are contractually obligated at this point. Do you have our totally real and not fake big book of tropes? Oh, it's hiding behind my ear this whole time. All right. I have our die here and I'm going to roll it. I've rolled a 72 on our magic 100-sided die. What is 72 on our totally real and not fake big book of tropes? 72 is new kid at school. Oh, actually, this works pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we could do it without having to add anything, but that's not what the spirit of the trope is about. That's true, because she's gone to the nursery. She was the new kid at school there. Maybe we need an additional character who, after Jane has learned the pear tree ropes a little bit, then she takes under her, her wing, under her branches. Here's the thing. So the entire reason for making her a damn pear tree was because when I was looking through this, I was like, oh, she's going to be a governess. A governess is an au pair. Pear. <laughs> that was it. So in Jane Eyre, she is a governess to a little girl when she gets to Thornfield. New kid at school can be this kid. Okay, so Mr. Rochester lays his eggs in the nest in her branches. Yeah, 
Oh, wow. So she brings up her roots, right? When she finds out that there's another nest. As she is over by the other pear trees and be like, this, I'm really sad. She hears something up in her branches. Oh, she's taking the nest with eggs with her. Yeah. It could just be one, right? That's a fine idea. And so then there's an obligation to like bring the bird back. Here's where it gets weird. This is presumably a boy bird. Doesn't have to be. Boy birds can lay eggs. Can they? Yeah, you know, like you've got chicken eggs and you've got rooster eggs. It doesn't have to be romantic. It's a children's book. We we did this with Gatsby. It doesn't have to be romantic. Rooster eggs are always romantic. No, I think it's a fair point. So you think that Mr. Rochester should be a girl bird. Well, I guess the issue with that, though, is that boy birds are usually prettier than girl birds. Is that a thing? Yeah, it is. Whenever you see a pretty bird, it's always the boy. You know, you've heard of peacocks, but when's the last time you saw a peahen? You haven't because they're ugly. Is the point of that is evolutionary, right? They're pretty because they need to attract a mate. Is that the thing? Exactly. Yes, and getting a yacht is too difficult for a bird. (laughs) So... I mean, I think it can still work. The main thing is like that it can still be like a sense of community that Jane thinks she has when this bird wants to be with her and like, I want to lay, you know, a nest in and then is offended when she finds out. It feels tenuous. There's something, there's something waving in the wind. Okay. Maybe like a nest being flung out of a tree because the wind is a little too strong. We got it. We got some good stuff here, but I want to make sure we're not missing anything. So what do we have so far? So it's a sapling. Everything up to Thornfield has been perfect. And honestly, we were doing really well until we decided to inject this trope in. Why would we, why would we ever do that? What if her goal is to grow? The bird tells her something that helps trees grow is forming a bond. You and I can form a bond and I'll be in your tree and we'll have this bond together. And it's a strong, unbreakable bond. And then he breaks the promise. And then he breaks the promise because there's another tree that is also not grown, right? That's going to be the point about the Mrs. Rochester tree. I think it's a good idea. I guess I don't know if it's too romantic for the story, you know, but maybe it would work. There's a bond. A bird needs a tree and a tree needs a bird. Yeah, and the whole point is about growth, right? Because that's the entire quest. So he talks about like the symbiosis of it. You protect me and your branches. I, I don't know, eat lice off of you or whatever. Yeah, but that that feeling of protection helps you and your strength and your purpose. Yeah. And so I think that can really work. But then, like you said, we go over to the pear trees. We we leave. We uproot. And the pear trees convince that even if you're in the right spot, even if you have all the sun, you still need to take care of yourself to help yourself grow. So then it's also like refuting what Mr. Rochester said, that you need me. It's not that you need me. It's that you need yourself. So she leaves, she gets this message, she realizes that there's a baby bird in her branches, and so she turns back, she's like, okay, I gotta go back. So what's the reconciliation? So the reconciliation can be that by the time she gets back, that other tree has fallen, and the nest is on the ground, and the the bird has a broken wing. Might be too dark for us. I uh, think these are great ideas. What if we, like, just skate over that? Skate over, like, revisiting the first Mrs. Rochester. Skate over the broken wing. She comes back, and the the person that is excited to see her is the boy. And now she has grown to the point that she's a mighty tree, so big that he can hang a swing on the branch. So we don't need Rochester at all. That's perfect. Well, like, there could still be the reconciliation between the baby bird. Rochester has to acknowledge, oh, thanks for bringing my kid back and not eating it. Trees eat birds. It's a, it's a well-known fact. I didn't know you were a Venus fly moose. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. 
So there's like a bird reconciliation, but also like we're focused on the boy. And it could end like on the last scene of him swinging, you know, like she's now bringing shade and housing for the bird and joy to the boy. But she also feels good about herself because she's inherited quite a lot of money from her uncle. Exactly. And she's learned that all of these things together, including that money, is part of her growth. And now she has grown to be a house for the swing. She has grown to be shade. She's grown to be protection for the baby bird. And now she is what she wanted to be. I think that's like chef's kiss. Like, mwah. And then at the very end, a lumberjack could come and cut her down because kids have to know that every good thing is fleeting that this too will one day end yeah i think that's what you just said is the exact way to end this book it just comes to me i don't know i don't know how i do it leon you've written eighty thousand very depressing children's books how do you do it you know the main character dies at the end of every one of them the trick is kill your main character and kill the first 10 people to buy your book it's not the trick don't do that So that was our book. Now we need a title. The words we should be focusing on are pear tree growth. Jane Pear. I mean, (laughs) yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, just the tree's name is Jane and she's a pear tree. Jane Pear, I think makes sense. I like coming up with all these fun alternative titles and then we can bounce off them. And But Jane Pear is the book. Can you think of a better one? Jane Pear works. And the reason Jane Pear works is because, like you said, her name is Jane. And she's a goddamn pear tree. And then people go, oh, that sounds familiar. Why does that f- sound familiar? Oh, it rhymes with Jane Eyre. Jane Eyre's in the public domain. It's fine. I know I am often swayed to buy something based on if it sounds similar to something I already know. For sure. I mean, that is the entire reason Pride and Prejudice and Zombies became a thing. There's no other explanation. Jane Werewolf. Jane Werewolf. <laughs> Okay, so that's our book, Jane Pear. Let's put it aside for now and talk about somebody else's book. What book are we reviewing this week, Nathan? We are reviewing Llama Llama Red Pajama by Anna Dudney. Llama Llama Red Pajama. That's the one where Llama Llama becomes a communist, a Maoist. We talked about this earlier, and you said that it was a good television show, and I said that I had not watched very much of it because the cougar wasn't necessarily interested. I have to say, I find it very impressive that Ms. Dudney has launched an empire based on just a silly rhyme that she probably had when she was, like, fixing dinner one morning. Just like, llama llama, red pajama. You said fixing dinner one morning. <laughs> well, sometimes it's a dinner. It takes all, it takes all day. It's true. Maybe it was Thanksgiving. She was making an Easter brisket, Leon. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it's definitely true that she took this one fairly straightforward idea and built so much out of it that is very impressive. I'm not really going to poop on the book too much. It's fun, right? The idea is very simple, right? The eponymous Llama Llama Red Pajama is sad because he wants his mama and his mama's downstairs. So he thinks he's secretly an orphan like Jane Eyre. He ends up screaming. Again, the rhyme scheme is great. I think something that most people who know this book also know that I'm not sure which early morning rap talk show it was, but one of the talk show hosts got this book for his kid and was like, this sounds like a rap verse. And every time he hosted a a rapper, he would make the rapper do the book. I didn't know that. That's funny. So so you should Google it if you don't know. Ludicrous Llama Llama Red Pajama is absolutely brilliant. 
So the thing that gets me about Llama Llama, it's a good show. I like it. There's an episode where Llama Llama freaks out at the grocery store, and I can't watch it because it's like uh, I have PTSD flashbacks. That is a scary thing. Actually, I will be honest, mostly because of this pandemic, that hasn't happened to us yet. The cougar has not had a meltdown in a public place. It's a rite of passage, so it's going to happen at some point. So yeah, the, the whole point is that Llama Llama is sad. Llama Llama throws a fit. Llama's mom says, listen, stop throwing your fit. I'm here all the time. Here's a little kiss. Now you can go to sleep. The thing that bothers me a lot about this book is that there's a rotary phone in it. <laughs> it's hanging on the wall. Like, when was this book written? It was made in 2005. We at least had cordless phones at then. I remember the last time I used a rotary phone. It was at my great aunt Eunice. Mrs. House. She was real old and I was real young. We had a rotary in my uh, house before Katrina. Yeah. I had a Rotarian in my house. Um, it was a mess to clean up. I had a Rodian in my house. He uh, shot Han first. Han <laughs> shot first. Although I don't care. This is my opinion about all of these stupid esoteric discussions and arguments. I don't care. If you're arguing, and, and I feel this way about everything, even like sports debate stuff, if you're arguing about this little minutia about stuff, like, listen, I chase a, a two-year-old all day long. I do not care who shot first. But we can say at least that Llama Llama and all of its mainstream sequels are better than some of the weirder, lesser-known ones, right? Like Llama Llama at Benihana. Llama Llama, Wilmer Valderrama. <laughs> There's that famous one where he goes and he's a star quarterback at, uh, you know, it's Llama Llama. Alabama. <laughs> Lama Lama at the University of Alabama. The one where Lama Lama's really bad at punctuation. Lama Lama period comma. <laughs> yeah, he's learning. He's a kid, you know? There's that one where Lama Lama is reincarnated into the Hindu caste system. Lama Lama, you're a Brahma. <laughs> Or the one where Lama Lama turns to drugs and he's shot one day during a terrible drug deal. You know, it's Lama Lama hospital trauma. <laughs> the one where Lama is reading a book, the book The End of History and the Last Man, and it's Lama Lama Fukuyama. Fukuyama's a crank. That's what I have to say about that. Although, whenever I feel like, oh, he's a crank and I just get tired of this kind of philosophy, I go back to my roots, I meditate, I pick up Lama Lama Dalai Lama. <laughs> it's better than the sequel where the Lama just hangs out with Zoeberg all day and it's Lama Lama Futurama. Or the one where he has to put together that presentation for school, Lama Lama Diorama. The one where he gets invited to the White House and it's Lama Lama Barack Obama. Or I also really liked the one where it turned out that Lama Lama's cousin was secretly his brother who had an evil twin and um, they inherited a lot of money from their uncle. It was the Lama Lama melodrama. Or, or when uh, the Lama went into his metal phase and it was Lama Lama pentagrama. Oh, that's a good one. Or the one where Lama Lama moves to the San Bernardino Valley to a little city to start a new life and Lama Lama Loma Linda. It's not as bad as the sequel where Lama Lama goes behind the scenes for the filming of A League of Their Own and Lama Lama meets Madonna. I liked her in that movie. All the way May. We're the members of the All-American League. We come from cities near and far. Except some of them are Canadian. They literally say in the song, right? And Irish ones and Swedes. 
How about the one where Llama Llama goes out west with just a six-shooter and a dream and becomes a sheriff of Tombstone? Yeah, Llama 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 Drama. It's about as a sequel where Llama went to Pakistan to meet the Nobel winner, Llama Llama meets Malala. How about the uh, that terrible one that was going around on the internet of the orgy of old men? You know, Llama Llama Lemon Party? <laughs> well, that was Father Father. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to check out our Patreon. If you've got a book you'd like us to kidify, send us a message at FatherBother on Twitter or shout it out of a window. We're always listening. Was that too menacing? Just menacing enough.